I mean, I'm in a different place in my life now. Should we introduce the fucking show we're going to do? Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms. Do it. Just laugh through it. They know why we're here. Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched My Best Friend's Wedding for the second time. For those of you... Well, not in our, for the millionth time in our lives. Right. For the second time for, for this podcast. Second time for the podcast. For those of you who have been with us from the beginning, you have... All, may, both of you. You may remember that we did a My Best Friend's Wedding episode and then took it down because we were podcast infants at the time and our audio was trash. My mouth. Yeah. So we took it down. So it was it up was, for like a day. Yeah. Or less. Um, It was n- not, you could not hear us say anything. So, so we took it down. Um, And so we're now at two years of having done this little project, proyecto. Which I was thinking the other day, we have not missed, I was going to say a week. We do this every other week. And I'm really proud of us for that. I am too. I like gave birth to fucking babies and we didn't there miss a There are a couple week. episodes where we think you're going to go into labor and we're like, not until we finish recording. Yeah. Stay up there, little men. And they did. They listened. They listened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we need to do a vibe check this week. Um, my vibes are bad, Carrie. My vibes aren't good. <laughs> I'm not fucking around here. So I think this was on Who Weekly when they were like, we haven't done a vibe check in a while. And it's like, well, because when we're podcasting, my vibes are always fine. And like, it was such a good point. I was like, yeah, this is f-. like, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy talking to you every week. But then like we end. And so whenever we vibe check, I'm like, I feel good. And then we end. And I'm like, oh, the world is still there. Yeah. The my world's vibes are bad on again. fire. Not even the world. Jeff did. No, just America. <laughs> yeah. Jeff like was. We saying something and he was like, I just like it makes me the world makes me so anxious. And then he like corrected himself and he's like, it's not the world. It's the United States. So, yeah, we would be remiss if we didn't point out that this week we all collectively watched an attempted coup on our government Mm -hmm. by white supremacists. And that's not an exaggeration. And that feels weird. I was talking I was on. Uh. Marco Polo with my college roommates last night, one of them just being like, it's just been a hard week. Here are the pom-poms I made into Garland. And I was like, you have three guesses for which roommate that was, and you're only going to need the one. It was Hannah. Uh, who? It wasn't. It wasn't. It was Melanie. Although oh, you're right, you could need two, because I do have Hannah. two college roommates that would have made pom-pom Garland. You're absolutely right. Hannah was a good guest. Shout out to our uh, guest from our last week's mini-sode. Yeah. But it was Melanie. And she's like, it's been a tough week. Here's my pom-pom garland. And I was like, that's because I was like, I think, like, not to minimize your feelings, but I think that that's, like, totally normal. Because, like, you know, the coup we watched. And as I said it, I was like, I sound insane. It sounds like I sound like someone in a bunker being like, there's a coup on our government. Except I'm, I am in a, but there is a coup on our government. I don't know. It just... I don't mean to laugh because it's very serious. Yes, but like you also have to laugh. Like you have to make jokes or because it's terrifying. You know, the thing that sent me into a full panic spiral yesterday. One, your child had a fever. And earlier that day, I'd taken him for a walk in the cold. So I was like, well, I've, I've, I did it. Um, you don't catch colds two, from the cold. I... Also, he was very well bundled and probably already sick at that point, and I just didn't realize it. So back off, everyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but then I read some tweet that was like, five years before Hitler took over, there, he attempted a coup and failed. And I was like, cool. That makes me feel great. great. Hopeful. Thank you. And then I watched the news being like, should we just let Trump wait out these last 13 days or should we do something about it? And I feel like a crazy person being like, you should do something about it. <laughs> right. How is that not the default? You know how in like history class in high school, they're always like, if you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. And it's, now I'm kind of like, even if you do understand history, people will be like, it'll be different this time. <laughs> no, like we made enough changes to fascism that like, I think this time it'll be better. It'll be fine. Yeah, it was a week. 
It was a week. It was a rough week. I'm not in a great headspace. Um, my house is an utter disaster. And there are painters coming on Monday. So, so yeah, let's talk about my best friend's wedding. <laughs> Truthfully, like, watching this movie was helpful. It was a good... I will... Yes. Sorry, finish. No, I just... Rom-coms are helpful in this time. So, yes. After... So, for those of you who don't understand the dynamics of our bubble, Carrie has her own home, but we don't see any other people, and I'm her daycare, so the kids come here every day. And after you, and yesterday, I made one of them sick by going for a 20-minute walk in the snow. It was pretty. I thought he would like it. Elson, anyway. you did not make him sick. That's not how that, that's not <laughs> how science works. Don't tell me how science <laughs> works. Um, so after you guys left yesterday, I was like, I'm just going to go, like, lay down for 20 minutes and 20 minutes turned into like an hour and a half and I just laid in my bed and then I and then I was like I don't want to like I was like I just want to go to sleep like I don't I have to watch this movie I don't want to watch it and it was the first time like a movie I knew I would enjoy I like didn't want to watch because I was like oh it feels like homework and then I went upstairs and I turned on we ate dinner and I turned on the movie and those pretty little weirdos started singing wishing and hoping and I was like oh okay I feel better mm-hmm. And then I got into this, like, ranty headspace. Like, watching this movie after this week, we had, like, so often rom-coms are talked about in relation to, like, what we consider more prestigious movies. Like, rom-coms are considered, like, fluff compared to, like, epic dramas or, like, the movie, like, detective thrillers. These movies that get, like, Oscar attention. But, like, good rom-coms can talk about complicated relationships, complicated friendships, complicated romances, but there can also just be a source of relief. And this week, I just wanted a source of relief. I just wanted for an hour and a half to laugh and feel at peace. And spoiler alert, we're both going to agree this movie holds up because this movie is so well written. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeously shot. And I don't just say that as a Chicagoan. It is beautifully shot. And incredibly well acted and to ignore that artistry in favor of dramas that often highlight people's pain rather than their joy is frankly out of touch i the man who wrote this movie ron bass is an incredibly prolific writer he is an oscar nominee for the movie rain man which True life I've never seen. I'm sure it's as great as everyone says. But at the end of yesterday, I wasn't about to turn on Rain Man. Right. (laughs) Like, I wanted to watch this, which is still... Like, last week we watched... Now I'm just ranting. Last week, Mom and Dad and I watched The Trial of the Chicago 7, which is that Aaron Sorkin movie on Netflix. And it was very, very good. It's a very good movie. But it made me angry and it made me sad Mm -hmm. because it's so, like, relevant. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I didn't, like, go to bed that night feeling good about the world, whereas last night I went to bed feeling a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And that's my rant on how we don't honor the importance of rom-coms enough. No, I mean, I think we we don't celebrate joy in the same way we celebrate trauma, or we don't celebrate, like, the depiction of joy in the same way that we celebrate trauma, or the depiction of trauma. Um, And I think there's something sad about that and particularly right now like I don't know a lot of people who are seeking out additional like seeking out content with traumatic themes because we have enough of that like day-to-day in our lives right now we're experiencing on a day-to-day this is the other thing I said to my college roommates last night we are we as a collective we and also like the individual group of us are not fully comprehending the generational trauma we are watching every single day. Right. And that's sort of being embedded into us. I will never forget Wednesday. Right. I will never forget turning off the boys and I were listening to Homecoming. I turned it off to turn off MSNBC. Dad ran downstairs 30 seconds later. I said it's on and we sat you came we and we sat in silence for three hours. Yeah. I will never forget that. And that's important. It's important that we did that. But also, we then, because I live with our parents, watch have been watching a lot of MSNBC. 
And as much as I like Chris Hayes' coverage of this, I ne- last night I just needed to turn him off. Yeah. Like... And I and and I needed to turn this on. And even dad was like, I was like, is this OK? Like, we can go downstairs and watch this. And he was like, no, it's fine. Like, I'll if I get bored, like, I'll just go upstairs, like, turn it on. And he sat through the entire movie. Yeah. And I don't know if he, like, loved it or not. But I think he also just you get lost in the joy of it. And that's whether he he was acknowledging whether he was conscious of it or not. That was a relief to him mm-hmm. was to watch Julia Roberts be an awful person for two hours but in a fun way yeah an awful person who i really love watching yeah there's you have to have someone like julia roberts who's so let's like now get into talking. okay so let's talk about my best friend's wedding um our predictions were that we'd that this would hold up as we both said we've watched it we watched it as recently at least for me as recently as two years ago i remembered that we had liked it when we did our first episode. Um, plus, it, I mean, this is just one of my favorites. I love this movie. Yeah, this is in my top ten. Um, and I think, like you said, it is an incredibly well-written movie. It is a beautifully shot movie. I think that... I think that if we listened back to our episodes, one of the things that we'd find as constant is like when movies are shot on location, like when Mm -hmm. movies are actually shot in New York or actually shot in Chicago and you get a lot of scenes of people walking through the various cities where they're shot, there is an authenticity and a groundedness that bolsters the film. And that is very true of this movie. Um, and, but I think the thing that works above all else, because this is a tricky premise, the thing that works above all else is these actors. Yeah. The premise is Julia Roberts and Dermot Milroney. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, our best friends, they briefly dated in college, but broke up and have, because she has intimacy issues and have remained best friends. Uh, he calls her and tells her he's getting married in four days. And she realizes she's in love with him and has to go break up the wedding. And antics ensue. Right. And a lot of her antics are bordering on the cruel. Yes. And it's enjoyable, A, because she's funny. And B, because Julia Roberts, particularly at this time, is America's sweetheart. She is literally in a movie in a rom-com that which whose title is America's Sweethearts. So she can be manipulative and evil and wrong and bad. And you, A, she's funny, so you like it. B, she's endearing as fuck. And also the movie is not pos- is not like celebrating her as being in the right. She is regularly told by her best friend, George, and herself that she's doing bad things. Mm-hmm. Also, mom pointed out that, like, Cameron Diaz is also manipulative. And the fun thing about this, but in a very different way. Cameron Diaz is 20. She's got this, like, bright-eyed innocence. She's she's rich and pretty. and But she never like, comes across as naive. No. And she is also manipulative. And Julia Roberts calls her out in my one of my favorite. This movie has a lot of my favorite comedy scenes, but the one in the bathroom at Comiskey is one of my favorites where she says, like, you didn't trust me either. And Cameron Diaz is like, of course I didn't. And you realize that, like, these are two equally matched women. Mm-hmm. Cameron Diaz is not so stupid. I, when we did this the first time and I went back and looked at my notes, I read people had done... Um, like a 20-year anniversary spread, and they had in- brought these four in and done the four – Dermot Mulroney, Julia Roberts, Cameron Diaz, and Rupert Everett, and had done like a photo shoot with them and interviewed them. And that scene was reshot, which you can tell, by the way, because Cameron Diaz is wearing a wig. Um, But that scene was re- – Kimmy. Was reshot because originally Kimmy just forgives Jules. There is not that fight. And – I am so grateful that that scene got changed because up until this point, like there is nothing about like Kimmy is perky and she's 20 and she's cute and she's, you know, we're told kind of like annoyingly perfect. Um, 
but she's never comes across as naive. And I think that if she had just sort of like been like, Oh, I forgive you. That would have rang as false. And that scene where we, like you said, we get that they are evenly matched in this kind of battle for Michael's heart or whatever, I think is really smart. It was a smart choice to change that Um, because I think it elevates this movie in a little bit in a, and it, this movie could have kind of fallen into like a eye rolly, like women pitted against each other place. And it, doesn't at least for me i don't feel like it does one because they're evenly matched and two because both of these women are phenomenal actresses and i think yeah. going back sorry to like to keep talking but going back to what you were saying at the beginning about like celebrating trauma versus celebrating joy is that both of these women have received accolades for dramatic parts that they have played. And I think that these are, this movie is a top five performance for both of them because of the nuance and the vulnerability that both of them are able to instill in these sort of caricature like characters, these sort of, I mean, nobody knows these women in real life. Like there, there is a sort of, exaggeratedness to both of these characters but Diaz and Roberts are able to instill them both with such nuance with such vulnerability with such groundedness and they're at the same time both hilarious and I think it's unfortunate that these two performances are not up there with Aaron Brockovich and Gangs of New York and whatever else the and these women get you know their sort of nominations for yeah, I think the other thing that helps um, that not be sort of like two petty women fighting over a man is that that like Julia Roberts never stands a chance mm-hmm. and it's never implied that she does. Yes. Kimmy, from pretty much from jump, like maybe since once you meet Cameron Diaz, you realize that this is not going to be a movie where Julia Roberts wins him back. He doesn't love Julia Roberts in that way and that's pretty clear from the beginning and so instead of it being like two women battling for his heart it's a story of julia roberts essentially coming to terms with her own issues with intimacy and i don't know that i ever thought about that as a kid watching this movie that this is not a rom-com i mean i guess like the premise is will these two people end up together and unlike you know every other rom-com except for 500 days of summer we watched the answer is no but the real, like, emotional journey is, like, will Julia Roberts address her own sort of, like, intimacy issues? And one of the things I like about it is there's never any sort of, like, as a kid, her dad never hugged her, and that's why she's like this. It's just sort of like, you no, know, some people have issues with it. Like, some right. people don't operate in the same sort of, like, love. Some people aren't, like, inherently romantic, and that's okay. It doesn't mean they're not worthy of love or able to love or right. whatever. I also like one of the things that it's that struck me in this viewing that I don't think ever has before, even like when we watched it before, is that it's it's also a movie about like what it means when your best friend gets married. Mm-hmm. And particularly particularly when you're in a platonic heterosexual relationship where but anytime like a friend gets married there's a shift in your relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean that things get better or they get worse or whatever, but there's just a shift. Like now there's a new person in your best friend's life. And particularly, sorry. And, and particularly in a heterosexual platonic relationship, or I mean, I, I don't know because I've never been like in a, I'm not homosexual. I'm heterosexual. So, but I think anytime there's a ch- you're in a platonic relationship that has the possibility of romance, mm-hmm. then when that person, the other person commits themselves to somebody else, there there is sort of like this pause and this jealousy. And they both admit that to each other. And even though we know Dermot Mulroney is in love with Kim, 
he says, like, I was crazy when I, I was jealous when I thought you were engaged to George. Like, there's just kind of this, like, well, that that person belongs to me. And even if it's not a, a potentially romantic relationship, like, even if it is wholly platonic, which this one isn't, but there is still, especially with your best friend or someone you're very, very close to, when they meet their partner and then marry their partner, you're, you are no longer the most important person in their life. Like, mm-hmm. you have been, and like, our hearts open up and best friend is a tear, not a person and all of that stuff. But there is a sort of like, you're not no longer the first call anymore. And that I think is like when you're the single person left behind or when you're still the single person in a relationship, you haven't, they're still your first call and they're not yours. It's just like a weird adjustment of a relationship that I think can be hard to grapple with. And I say this to someone whose sister, you and best friends, most of whom have found their partners. And it's just like an interesting, at the sort of age we are at, the age where I guess we're still in the same generation Julia Roberts is in this movie, although again, she's 27. We have to address that bonkers. Mm-hmm. This, event. this is sort of the age when your people start to get married and there's that shift. And I, I had the same thought that I had never had watching this movie before. And I think it's just that we've, even when we watched this two years ago, and I think it's just because one of the things about great movies is that you discover things at different ages. And now that we're sort of at that age where we're living through that phenomenon, it really hit home that like, this isn't actually about her being in love with him and wanting him. It's about her wanting him to adore her and not wanting to lose that relationship. Mm-hmm. And she has to come to terms with the shift. And it's just really, I've never seen a movie address that. Like, this yeah, one does. yeah. Also, they're packed. They're, I feel like this is a major conversation we had in the first one, and I feel like I say it over and over again. Their we will get married if we're not married before packed is when they're 28. Wild. Wild. When this movie came out and I, like, saw this as a kid, I mean, I when did this movie came out? Like, 98, I think? 97. Okay. So I was, I was like, of course I need to be married in 20 years. I was like, sure. 28. You have a marriage pact watching it now at 34. I'm like, your marriage pact should be 45 at least. This is why I have panic issues about being 30, almost two and single. It's because movies like this were drilled into my brain. Also, like, I feel like maybe not the main point of marriage packs, but I feel like a big point of marriage packs is fertility. Like, if you want, if you're the type of person who wants to be married and have a kid, you sort of like, you're like, are you about to throw up? No. I'm burping. Sure. Much better. If you're the type of person who wants children, your pact is like, well, then we need to start, I'll marry this person by this age. And then, so I can not like miss my window to have children if that's what you want. And that like 35, that's the earliest. <laughs> earliest. 35 is early. Like I think 40 like you should begin if you if you are somebody who feels like I want to be married and a marriage pact is a good idea for you like like 40 28 I, wild also Kim is 20 Cameron Diaz is supposed to be 20, 20 in this movie and she is she getting cannot married legally drink at her own wedding how does she order an answer light at that karaoke bar how does she correct. do it correct yes 20 My she's supposed to be 20 PMI. My gynecologist PMI told me that I should freeze my eggs by 32, which I'm rapidly coming up on. And I remember like two years ago when she told me this, I was like, great, I'm really moving forward. By 32, I will definitely have the money to freeze my eggs and that I don't have to worry about having kids until 40. Well, I'm coming up on 32 and living in my parents' basement. So sorry, Dr. Korostoff. It's going to be another few years. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Um, Cameron Diaz is 20 in this movie. She's 20. She's dropping out of school or like postponing school so she's not doing senior year like she's travel around with him which they address as sexist but they never solve yeah i mean i do think again like part of what works with diaz's performance is that she is so like self-assured and appealing that like even though that's not the decision i would have made for myself at 20 I like completely buy it for her in this movie. I mean, like maybe I'm not if I was rich and met Dermot Mulroney, I'd give it all up, you know? Right. Like 
I'm like, okay, I understand why, like, I can understand why you're making this decision for yourself. I think the other thing that works is that Dermot Mulroney and Cameron Diaz have fantastic chemistry and you really buy that they are crazy about each other. And so I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. Give up your degree, not even career, like your degree. degree. At one point, I guess like it's not really said until this line, but I guess we were to assume that Cameron Diaz wants to be an architect and Julia Roberts says, don't architects find a degree an asset. Like, there's sort of this essence that like all right this isn't really a settled problem but I guess like you don't always have your problems settled before you get you should have the big things worked out before you get married but relationships evolve and you will have I mean you tell me you'll you'll still like work on shit between the engagement and the wedding so I I think we can assume that this is a fight they will continue to have and I like to think that at some point he's like okay you traveled around with me for two years now we'll go work for your father so you can go back to school but maybe I'm giving him too much credit. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was like the implication is like he's going to do this for a little while longer. Then she'll get to go back to school and they'll like settle down. But as I've gotten older, like the ages and the timelines in this movie continue to be wild to me. Last night, mom was like, he's telling her four days before – she doesn't even know he has a partner in four days before his wedding. He's like, I'm getting married. Like, right. And we get this throwaway line that he's, like, been trying to call her for a month and she's not returning his calls. So, like, he's been trying to tell her, but still. And it's like a whirlwind romance, maybe. Like, rich people can make a wedding happen fast. I think we buy a lot with the fact that they're billionaires. They're ethical right. billionaires because they own the White Sox. Correct. Let's talk about the representation of Southside Chicago white people in this. They make us seem much cooler than and much less racist than the we as a communal white people on the yes. south side are. Um, yeah. That, but go Sox. That's always wild to me. I'm like, oh, your marriage pack's 28. 28? Sure, sure. He's able to uh, do it because he's doing, I caught this line that I've never got before. He's doing a profile on the big hurt, you know, Frank Thomas. Yes. I like had never heard that line before and it made me so happy because it's my favorite baseball player of all time. You know what I caught this time that I've never caught before? And that then Rupert it- Everett has a partner? Yes! Yes! (laughs) First of all, we did not watch this movie together. How do we both catch that for the first time in this? Was it I literally, I rewound. I was like, does his voicemail have two names? So first of all, when she leaves a message and he's having a dinner party, there's a picture next to the answering machine and him and another man, like, holding each other in a romantic way. At one point, um... Well, and when she leaves that voicemail, like his voice message, because again, this is 1997, so it's a time when people had answering machines. Yeah. Um, it says like you've reached George, and I didn't catch the other person's name, but somebody else says a name. Well, and then when she arrives there, he's like, "I have to fly out tonight," uh, because ugh, what does he say? Uh, I have to go back. He says like we have to. Uh, when he arrives there and he shows up, and Julie Roberts is in the face mask. Uh, he says, like, I have to fly back tonight. We're doing something with so-and-so's family tomorrow. And then, and I have noticed this before, and I was just like, gay men wear rings. She says, give me your ring. It's yes. his wedding ring. He's he's a man. Well, I guess he was not legally married at this time because we fucking sucked as a country 20 years ago. Good thing we're a lot better now. But he ha- is in a civil union. He is in a yeah. marriage with a man. Yeah. Never caught it before. Never caught it before. I was like, wait a second. I am, here's the, like, how did we both catch that for the first time in this I also viewing? wonder if there, there was a character that got cut. Like, I yeah. wonder if his partner was a, like, there's a scene that got cut. Speaking of characters that got cut, one of the groomsmen and the person who sits at the head of the table in the famous, we will talk about, uh, Dion Warwick lobster restaurant scene is the guy from private practice and a couple other things. You would know him. He, um, private practice, he was in that episode of Law and Order where the kid has Tay-Sachs because the Jewish mother had an affair with her Jewish coworker. Wait, are you talking about Paul Adelson? Yes, Paul Adelson. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Paul Adelson. First of all, love that the Tay-Sachs episode of SVU got you there. But also... A great, it's a great slash horrible episode of SVU, but also he's fully sitting at the head of the table, and then and he sings like "Say a Little Prayer for You." I like wanted to look up if he'd ever been interviewed. Oh, about I'm this. sorry, it's Adelstein, not Adelson. Adelstein. Okay, he was married to 
for years and years and years, they have children together to, I'm blocking on her name. She literally just Googled him. Liza Wild. Wild. Liza Wild. Yes. Oh, interesting. They seem very different in ages to me, but that's because I grew up watching Gilmore Girls, and I know yeah, him they're as an not, adult. They're, they're the same no, age. I, but anyway, he's sitting at the head of the table. He, like, sings along, and then he's, off, he's like, standing next, not next to him, because the non-rapey Masterson allegedly stands next to him. Allegedly, 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 don't fucking kill me, Scientology. But also, he's, like, still a Scientologist, so. Yeah, I'm not defending this Masterson. They're all Scientologists. And they're all terrible people, but he is not the one that has been accused of multiple accounts of rape. Sure. Scientology, please don't come after us. We hate you, but we are not powerful enough to defend ourselves. He's been, um, accu- uh, he's been accused of rape. He's being charged with rape. That's a fact. They can't, I mean. I called him a rapist, which I believe he is, but I think allegedly he's right. a rapist. Anyway, he's not standing next to the, like one of the Mastersons plays his brother. And then, like, next to him is Paul Edelstein, who never has a line. I never caught him before. Catching the things I caught this time. Wow. That's fascinating. He's, 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 in a, class. He, he's a Shonda staple. Um, he's shown up on multiple Shonda shows. Is he in Bridgerton? No, I do not. Because I think most of Bridgerton is British people. And that one Irish girl. Although I guess maybe she's Northern Irish, so technically British. Um, sure, sure. I don't know that this is the forum to discuss the politics of right. Irish and Northern um, Irish things. Yeah. So, okay. So back to George as a partner. Let's talk about, um, George as a character and Rupert Everett's performance because it is maybe one of my top five favorite rom-com characters, favorite rom-com performances. He is... I love that character. I love the way that character is written um, because he's such a good friend. He's so smart and wise and thoughtful and loving to her. It's also one of the funniest. He brings some of the like most comedic moments in the movie, like the scene. The whole time when he's pretending to, to basically get back at her, she lied and said, She's engaged to him when she was supposed to tell uh, Dermot Mulroney how she feels. And instead she says she's engaged. And to get back at her, he, like, just makes an entire ruckus in a scene and sort of, like, plays a more affected gape. Like, he's, like, he's just He's fucking with her. her. Like, he's fucking, In a really fun way. And I I agree. It's one of the best, um, like, rom-com best, both writing and acting-wise, it's one of the best, like, rom-com best friend roles. Yeah. One of the things I really love about, I think, both the writing and the um, performance of the character is that they're doing, particularly for 1997, they're doing so much with his character without ever making fun of gay stereotypes. He's, like, very clearly a gay character, but he feels, it feels a lot like The Birdcage, like Robin Williams or Nathan Lane, where he feels, the character is obviously gay, but there's also, like, a grounded in reality where he's also, like, a human being and not a caricature and the movie's mm-hmm. never like making fun of gayness or queerness in any way it's it's sort of it, honoring his character as a person he's super he's way more multi-dimensional than most rom-com best friends and certainly than like gay rom-com best friends we ever yeah. seen and we talked about this particularly with Nora Ephron movies but like the friend relationships in rom-coms are so important and there's such a love between him and Julia Roberts. Yeah. And he's so smart and he's so caring and he's so, and he never lets her sort of like get away with shit. He's never like blindly supportive. One of my yeah. favorite scenes is when he's, he's like leaving after that lobster scene. And he, she says like, you need to tell him how you feel. And she, he she says, what will he do? And he says, he'll choose Kim and you'll hug him and you'll, say goodbye and it's just so like it's just such a lovely it's so nice that she has this person and it's just such a their their chemistry is so good he's so good yeah i agree i really I know that like the, just like the delivery of that line like he conveys so much because he is being honest with her he's not like oh you know he's not doing that thing where you like lie and Tell your, your friend, friend what, feel better. Right. What they want to hear. 
but he's also delivering it with a great deal of compassion and um honestly like i rupert everett has said that he thinks that coming out hurt his career and i am inclined to believe that that is true and it's it's really unfortunate because i think that we've missed out on a lot of really interesting rupert everett performances because of that um because he's just wonderful in this movie and i mean we'd be remiss not to talk about the lunch scene with the big like musical number which is iconic obviously he lies because they mentioned at mental institution where he was visiting a woman who thought she was Dionne warwick shout out to 2020's twitter queen obviously what a comeback um, and then they all sing Say a Little Prayer. I mean, you've seen it. We don't have to explain it. You've seen it. Whether you've seen this movie or not, you have seen that scene. Right. And it is, it remains to this day so stupid funny. And there's so much happening in it. Dermot Mulroney is jealous. Cameron, Julia Roberts is staring at Dermot Mulroney the whole time. Rupert Grant is fucking with her. Rupert Everett. Uh, Ru- Did I say Rupert Grant? Yeah. That'd be a twist. What a British name. Rupert Everett is fucking with her. Um, Cameron Diaz is like gaga over Dermot Maroney where he, well, he's fully focused on someone else and everyone around them. It's like, no one notices this and everyone's just having fun. It's such, it does so much in such a fun way. So again, I read that people article that was like the celebration of the 20th anniversary and the, um, director, I think it was like added that scene in because he wanted Everett to have more to do. And, Again, like, it's such a smart choice, and I'm so glad that we get to see more of Everett's comedic stuff because it's yeah. so fun and funny and joyful. Um, also, Rachel Griffiths and Carrie Preston as Cameron the Diaz's vengeful, <laughs> vengeful slut southern cousins. Honestly, name a more iconic duo, I will wait. The because... way people are described in this movie is so good. Vengeful sluts is my favorite tied with uh, Julia Roberts describing herself as self-absorbed and vaguely lovable. <laughs> 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 it's so funny. They're so... When she gets her tongue stuck on the statue of the day. <laughs> I mean, and they're another two who, like, they basically were unknown at this point, and they've both gone on to do like some of the best television like prestige television that we have yeah um and they're just so fun and funny so fun and funny um yeah it's the other scene i love which is less funny but uh is a really good chicago scene is when they're on the boat on the river um and they dance with no music and she like has the opportunity to tell him she loves him and she the moment just passes her by it's just like first of all you know i'm a sucker for like beautiful sweeping city images but particularly of chicago but also just like the wanting to tell someone you love them and not being able to do it and not being able to like verbalize a reason is so so often, and I'm thinking this because this is sort of my own writing problem right now, is like you think you need to have like a reason you can't just tell someone you love them. And you sometimes, and you don't always. It's just hard. And we sort of believe it in this character and we have this perfect moment and she just can't do it. And it's like a really lovely scene that makes you want to cry. And then it's such a selfless act when she like gives them her song mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. Because she really is giving away, and I thought about this for the first time watching this movie, she's giving away to, like, one thing they have that is you, that is entirely theirs. Like, she will never be with Dermot Mulroney. She'll never, Cameron Diaz's character will always have something in him that she won't have. So she could have so easily and understandably been like, well, I'm going to hold on to our song. And she doesn't. She gives it away. And it's, like, it's a really powerful way to, like, buy back the horrific things she's done yeah i don't know it's just it's such a good movie the other like the the other thing that i kind of like about her i mean being the villain again you know we've seen lots of versions of this movie where you know the best friend is trying to win back her best friend as her you know 
from and oftentimes like Kimmy, the Kimmy character would be the villain and she's not in this movie. This movie really kind of turns that trope on its head and instead of the fiance, the sort of blonde, beautiful fiance being the villain, the protagonist, the protagonist, our, our heroine is also our villain. And first of all, it just makes for a more interesting rom-com. But the other thing is that it allows us to see Julia Roberts do some really wonderful comedy. It also... I think a lot of times in rom-coms we see the man sort of make a fool of himself in an attempt to win over the woman. We don't see the woman often make a fool of herself in an attempt to win over a man. Yeah. Um, And we get a lot of that here. Julia Roberts makes a complete ass of herself on multiple occasions. And, and we get, you know, a really kind of, snotty vulnerable like pick me choose me speech which again I don't know that we see a lot from female protagonists you know Meredith Grey the exception obviously and that speech is sort of stolen from pick me marry me let me make you happy oh there is no doubt in my mind that Shonda was very much inspired by this movie um Two Shonda connections in this episode. You will always find one. Yes. Oh, I Hang will on, I gotta, always find the Shonda. I gotta connection. search for a housewife connection. Um. So I, I mean, I just like that. I like that. This is this is a much interesting, much more interesting version of a lot of this kind of basic premise that we've seen, where it's two women and one is trying to sort of win back the man that she let go. Yeah. Her phone does not hold up. Her phone is a fucking the brick. technology. When she steals a bread van and then is on the biggest phone in the world. I also, like, I love that they had, so I guess, like, they all are, like, journalists and food critics and sports writers. Like, if they're traveling, you need to get a hold of them. But, like, who had cell phones in 97? Honestly. And they're fucking huge. It's really so she can, like, be in a bread van and be able to call Rupert Everett. She doesn't. In the very, in the first scene when she's eating dinner at is it a charlie trotter restaurant like where it's, not, it's like a yes let's talk about that okay so this she, movie na- she doesn't get any of the polenta or the vegetables on her fork she only tries the meat and then tell them what she thinks of the meal it's like well you only add one bite you didn't get any of the polenta on your fork jewel right but also it's... we're supposed to be in new york at that point but charlie trotter is the head chef which means even that scene was filmed in chicago i'm fine with that it's a high just, time we appropriate New York. <laughs> we just were um, – for those of you who are not Chicago and Charlie Trotter was probably, like, one of the most famous Chicago bread chefs, um, and he died a handful of years ago. Should we point out all the Chicago errors they do, like when she exits the McCormick Place and is then going south on Lakeshore Drive? Doesn't hold up. And by that I mean that's not how that highway works. So two different highways <laughs> going opposite directions. Yeah, the Chicago-ness of this, you know, they're, then the, I think also the fact that they're White Sox fans, I cannot think of any other movie where they're not Cubs fans. So that's how you know that this is, like, made by real Chicagoans. It's like this and the Milwaukee Bar in Love Actually that has a sock sign in it. This is the only, like, movie references to the White Sox. I, so I touched on this, but I just want – I think – you know, we did the holiday a couple of weeks ago and we talked about not being super convinced by Cameron Diaz's performance in the holiday. I think this is the opposite. I think that her performance in this is wonderful. I there There's something kind of like masterful about her performance in this because she's winning Jules, the Julia Robert character, over at the same time she's winning the audience over. I mean, like that karaoke scene where she does a horrible job and but she's just so wonderfully endearing and And like she's so nervous it's how nervous she is you just like you cannot not feel for her like singing is such a vulnerable thing and she's so terrified to do it and she's so bad at it yeah and like that scene where she she's only singing that song and goes from being like truly petrified to like just like submitting and having fun is really natural and so endearing and you just like want for her in a movie when like you're supposed to theoretically I guess hope she loses 
it's you're right. It's like yeah, but you never do. Like you always like her, and I think like by somebody like in somebody else's somebody else playing that role, that performance could have been really cloying, and it wasn't. No, she's she's fun to watch. She's appealing. I mean, Julia Roberts says about Kim that she's irritatingly perfect, but there's nothing nothing irritating. irritating, um, And that's what's irritating. And I think that that's true of Diaz in this performance, too. And it's such a good, it's true of Diaz. And it's also such a good, like, we've all met that girl we wanted to hate and couldn't. And it's such, like, there's so much about, I think Julia, Julia Roberts' character represents the worst in us. And, like, maybe not the worst in us. Like, the worst in you and I, not, like, the worst in human nature. But, and that makes her really, the bad things she does really relatable, even though we all probably wouldn't, like, write a horrible letter to our beloved boss from his soon-to-be father-in-law. Like, we wouldn't do those horrible things. We understand why she does it. And, yeah, Cameron Diaz represents, like, the best in all. Like, we all want to be irritatingly perfect. I also think, like, I mean, we can go on and on about why Cameron Diaz is great in this and why the holiday doesn't work. And I'm so sorry to rom-com queen Nancy Myers, but it is the writing. Mm-hmm. There's ju- it's just, this is a very well-written movie. The man who wrote this movie, I think I said earlier, also wrote Rain Man. Here is his pedigree. With Terry McMillan, he wrote both, he co-wrote with Terry McMillan, both How Stella Got a Groove Back and Waiting to Exhale. Stepmom, When a Man Loves a Woman, The Joy Luck Club, Sleeping with the Enemy, Rain Man, and Entrapment. And those are just like the famous. Those are just like the most notable ones I can find. He's prolific, and I had never looked up his name before this. Also, like kind of rom com hero. Like, how so? Like, a lot of the things we loved about how Stella got her groove back the friendship relationship, the like, the way sort of like a, a career obsessed or like, older woman is not portrayed as sort of it's portrayed as an honest human thing and not like a negative evil thing like a lot of there are similarities in those movies like yeah this guy there was another one you said waiting to exhale stepmom he did a lot he doesn't love julie roberts movies waiting i'm not waiting to exhale stepmom when a man loves a woman joy luck club sleeping with the enemy rain man and entrapment when a man loves a woman that's another like like just really beautifully written movie. Well, and like the range from like family dramas, like Stepmom, When a Man Loves a Woman, Joy Luck Club, to like full action movies, like yeah, fucking Entrapment yeah, I mean, Stepmom and too. Like with the you, enemy, like yeah, yeah. Like if you think about some of the like the dialogue, there's there's an authenticity to his characters and his dialogue that is. Um, Stepmom's another one where it's like two women who you're supposed to like in a worst movie is just like could just be two women hating each other and it's actually about two women like not romantically but like falling in love with each other and one of them teaching the other one how to mother her own children before she dies i can't wait i stop mom really but like it's just like really complicated relationships that he writes in really lovely endearing ways his name is ronald bass and I think he's a better writer than Nancy Myers. Wow. Hallie um, Myers. Hallie Myers. Hallie Myers. Hallie Myers. I will say one of them we forgot. We keep having to like correct her Nancy Myers episode. She also produced with her husband the aforementioned Shire, the father of the bride movies, which are some of my all time favorites. So like Nancy Myers, I do love you. I do love those movies. Yeah. And there are there are Nancy Myers movies. I mean, I love Something's Got to Give, and it's complicated. I love it's complicated. I mean, we'll have to we'll do them at some point, but like the holiday just wasn't it for us, man. Oh, it's on the list. I love it's complicated. Yeah, the holiday just wasn't it for us. Yeah. Um. But my best friend's wedding is it? We love it. It's a good good choice for our like two-year anniversary two-year annie and it is really what i needed yesterday yeah oh yeah hold up we've, we've been forgetting to make predictions because yeah all right so let's do it what are we watching next week next week we are watching well again in keeping with our we sort of accidentally got into a word association spiral which means 
I, when making the list, got into a word association spiral. So we watched The Holiday, The Best Man Holiday, My Best Friend Wedding. So that is only The Wedding Singer is up next. Okay, what are your predictions for The Wedding Singer? I haven't seen this in a long time. I unabashedly love a Sandler Barrymore romp. But I also know, as a Sandler fan, there's going to be some tough stuff. I think it's not going to be as problematic as some of his later work, which is a shocking way to do it. But there's going to be some, there's going to be, it's going to be some trouble. Yeah. I have not seen this movie. I probably like, I don't know. I was probably in high school the last time I seen this movie. Like it's been a minute. Yeah. Um, but yes, I also love an Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore rom com. It's like generation of Sandler movies. Like I love five hundred five hundred days of summer, fifty first dates. Yeah, love fifty first dates. Yes. Um, and I love this. Like remembering this movie, I love. I think there is a lot about this movie that is really charming and i'm excited to watch it um but again yes knowing his pedigree i wouldn't be surprised if there's some things that are a little cringy also because it's it's a fairly old movie yeah so i think there's probably been a shift in sensibility although let's be fair it's probably about as old as my best friend's wedding and other than the fact that everyone is white and that can you know that's not great there's nothing really cringy in my best friend's wedding. There's yeah. not. So we'll reserve judgment. Yeah. Endearing, a problematic fave, Adam Sandler. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's our prediction. Also, we have some exciting, we uh, so loved doing our 12 Days of Christmas minisodes, so we're going to keep minisoding. So next week, should I announce, I should announce it in case people want to like read. Um, we're going to sort of I start a book club maybe, but don't feel like you have to read it. Although if you want to read along, we picked a fun one. We're, we're reading uh, Evie Drake Starts Over, which is a rom-com novel by Linda Holmes. Um, and so we're going to re- do it in and four And just parts. like for people who don't know, Linda Holmes is, she's an NPR, she's the NPR like pop culture correspondent. She hosts, is the head host of um, NPR's pop culture happy hour. Um. And a longtime fave of both mine and Al's. So um, that's part of why we chose her book. Yeah. Um, so the book's in four parts. It's like split up by season. So we'll read like a season every other week and talk about it. Like we do movies, but it'll be a book. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes. That's uh, where you can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod. And at Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. Um, and thank you so much for listening you guys give us a really wonderful excuse to talk about rom-coms amidst the fall of democracy and that is valuable we hope you feel the same listening (laughs) thank you so much we'll see you next week with a minisode and the week after with the wedding singer yep bye bye